Welcome to Future Horizons, the Tempest podcast. I'm your host, Zevi Watmore. In this special edition of the Tempest podcast, we've teamed up with the Royal Aeronautical Society for an update on the Future Combat Air Systems programme. The Royal Aeronautical Society is the world's only professional membership association dedicated to the aerospace and aviation industry. They recently hosted a high-level discussion on the unique role Tempest will play in the delivery of the next generation of global combat air capability. In this podcast, we hear from Richard Burson, UK MOD's Director of Future Combat Air, Herman Klesman, FCAS Managing Director, BAE Systems, and Air Commodore Johnny Morton, the MOD's FCAS Portfolio Director, as they reflect on the key points discussed at the roundtable discussion, hosted by Editor-in-Chief Tim Robinson. What were the key takeaways from this roundtable? What, what was the, the, your highlights? Yeah, thanks very much, Tim. Um, this is Richard Burton speaking. I, for me, it was an opportunity to, to sort of resituate the programme in, in the strategy that we launched four years ago and take stock of progress. And I think what is really evident is that we have uh, really accelerated and started to build momentum uh, in the FCAS programme. I think we've got a clear path forward, uh, some very exciting progress with international partners, uh, some very concrete outcomes in terms of technology. And what's really exciting is seeing how the skills base that underpins the program is beginning to take shape. This concept of a generation tempest, uh, ready, fit for purpose, excited, committed to a UK partner program in an international context is a, a very exciting time. And what did you? What were your highlights? Yeah, so from from my point of view, I, I, I echo Richard's world. I, I think words. I think um, everybody around the round table um, reflected what an exciting time it is to be part of of the national endeavour of of generating the next generation combat air system, and and, and indeed showing tangible program progress through the uh, through the twenty eighteen combat air strategy. Um, in terms of the product we are developing, the solution we're developing, the system we're developing in response to these very challenging operational requirements, um, the significant investments we're making across the UK uh, with the help of, of government, government and industry partners to de-risk those technologies, the creation of the programme, and we spoke a lot about what it takes to actually get us to 2035. You know, we, 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 as I keep saying, we, we're trying to crack the code yeah. in terms of, of making this programme happen within an extraordinary uh, short time scale compared to previous programs. And that brings in challenges around enablers, digital challenges, uh, but also attracting the right skills and inspiring a new generation to be part of this program. Johnny, what what were your um, thoughts from this uh, this event? So I think I'll I'll start with... uh, the, the impressive diversity around the table in terms of where we had both government and industry uh, folk represented both the, this, the, the key prime partners as well as the supply chain. Uh, and then I think the, the, the theme that came through that both Richard and, and uh, uh, Herman have just commented on is, that, uh, is, is the pace at which we need to go and do this programme, the pace that we've taken this programme thus far, and the fact that we can't let up and indeed have to increase that pace in order to achieve the, the, the ambition of 2035 for a programme. I think the, 
the fact that you know we highlighted during it the fact that we've come so far from a technology perspective post their combat air strategy in 2018, uh, the importance of making those decisions in 2018, uh, and the fact that that's built a fantastic enabling foundation for the future that allows us to have a really good go at 2035 uh, as an ambitious timeline for the programme. And, and Sim, I, I enjoyed our conversation about the strategic context. I think um, we're all really concerned by what's happened with Ukraine yeah. and the, the change in the international context, the threat context that that, that suggests. What we're seeing is the importance of control of the air, capabilities that can deliver that in the future uh, against uh, a, a fast-evolving threat. I think we're seeing the importance of being able to upgrade capability to respond to, to an emerging threat on a day-to-day basis and the importance of embedding that in our approach to a future combat air system. So it's agile, it's responsive, it's flexible. Uh, And lastly, the importance of resilience in our national, technical, industrial base in defence. We reflected, I think, on just how important that is in a very unstable global context, how Ukraine has shown that we've got to regain that and how important it is to the nation uh, it's part of growth and prosperity, uh, but it's also a fundamental uh, underpinning part of our national security. Do you think there's any other projects, you know, ongoing in the UK or even even the world that draw everything together in such a way uh, in, 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 in all these different factors? I mean, I'm, I'm struggling to think of, uh, you know, any myself, but... I mean, defence has got uh, AUKUS and and, and the nuclear endeavour remains obviously really front and centre. I think in the civil side, something like the James Webb Telescope is a really good example of that's the kind of thing that excites kids into STEM. It shows them the art of the possible, very inspiring. But but I do think we've got a a unique proposition here with Tempest and FCAS because it does link the, the military capability with amazing technology uh, a growth in skills across the UK uh, in a way that uh, that can inspire uh, a next generation. And I, I find that really exciting. Well, obviously, the, the big news from Farmer earlier this year was there is going to be a supersonic, low-observable, flyable demonstrator flying within the next five years, which is really, really exciting. Uh, and it's a sign of tangible progress. But with so much being done digitally and digital twins, digital model-based systems engineering, where you you know you've already done first flights there, many first flights. Um, how do you measure progress or, or demonstrate it to partners and, and politicians, external stakeholders, you know the media, taxpayers, um, you know where you are in this when it's all happening in the computer? Yeah, I think that's a really good question, and again, we touched on that in the round, in the round table, didn't we? On, on, a, on, quite, on quite a few questions and discussions we had. I think um, um, so, uh, we, we, we're showing progress in quite a few areas. I think so. Uh, first of all, um, as you as you alluded towards, Farnborough announced the um, uh, the demonstrator, the supersonic globes of the aircraft. And, uh, you know, excellent progress has been made on that despite uh, the pandemic since 2018. Um, and, you know, to give you a couple of examples, we, we're already flying it, as you alluded towards. Uh, thanks to the digital methodologies, we're, we're now turning software cycles around 
in a matter of hours uh, instead of, of months on, on previous combat air programs. Which brings me on to the second point, is, is another measure, is that we are building the program to 2035. We are looking at all the key ingredients required to make that happen. We're looking at the way the delivery construct between international partners needs to be created, both government and industry. We're looking at the technology route maps we need and the, and the corresponding uh, investment that links into the different design reviews. And finally, we're looking at all the enablers, which is a key facet of this program. The only way we're going to make this program happen by 2035, if we're able to master uh, and unlock the potential of, of digital technologies by rethinking our processes, by looking at different tool sets, by creating that collaborative working environment. And I think we all recognize at the table that's one of the biggest challenges we have uh, to, to, to bring that to life and make that happen, particularly within a security context. I think to tie that together a little bit in terms of uh, 2035, that for us is the start of the journey. So the conversation about enabling industry, enabling governments uh, in terms of the programme to that point is from there we are looking at a capability that can evolve, can spiral, keep pace with the threat uh, for the next 30, 40 years. And I think that, that's, a, that's a real challenge for us now because we're not just building something new, forget in 2035, we, we, we're building something to start in 2035 yeah. and take that journey forward. Uh, a question here, uh, playing devil's advocate, is uh, I mean, we've heard before, uh, I've been uh, in the job longer than I should mention, but uh, digital design, concurrent development, uh, promising faster, cheaper, better has been tried before. Uh, in, you think of the Boeing 787, A380, F35, did not deliver on, on their much higher promises. Why will Tempest FCAS be different this time around? Because the way the program is constructed, it allows us to go in a lot more detail around that at the start of the program. Yeah. First of all, we recognise it as an absolutely fundamental and critical enabler, and we don't want to want to run away from that challenge. So we're taking a risk-based approach to the program. We're analysing the construct of the program, and we're identifying the pinch points, the difficult parts of the program, in particularly around the digital enablers. And we are already looking, we're doing some today, we are going to do more at demonstration activities that specifically mitigate that risk away instead of relying on one big bang that, that, uh, that allows that to happen down the line. We, we, also, we also talked on, um, uh, at the round table that this is not necessarily a technology problem. You know, most of the technology is already there. It's about a, a mindset, a way of working. Uh, and, it's, and it's about uh, scaling it up to the level of complex, the complexity and size that we need to address on the FCAS program. I think, Tim, Tim there's a level of confidence that these tools yeah. achieve the goals we're aiming for. There, there is evidence. This is not transformational fairy dust, as I, I've heard it described. We know that if we apply the tools in the way that Herman's described, we can achieve the benefits, the goals that we aspire to. Now, that means that that doesn't mean you guarantee success and it's hard and it requires absolutely ruthless focus across yeah. both government and industry. It's also beholden on government to think really hard about how we set up the program, how we do our approvals, our funding, our engagement, our contracting with industry. Uh, even more important, perhaps, how we set up the delivery structures with international partners to learn lessons from previous programs. But the evidence is there that, that this can be done. Uh, we, we've just got to have, I, what I think we do have is a, a ruthless focus on pace. And I, I said 
during the session paces king it's it's absolutely our shared top priority uh, with our international partners with our industry colleagues uh, and and that that gives us a pretty clear uh, way forward and a marker that we're we're aiming for so a, a good example of uh, where we are doing a lot of work at the moment based on you know, your challenge there about previous programs, F35, uh, in particular in terms of digital certification and their worthiness is that it's not just a program problem. You know, we have dependencies on our military aviation authority to say, actually, uh, you need to be match fit for FCAS as well because you need to be providing uh, the assurances that actually the digital evidence that we provide on airworthiness is something that it's acceptable to you. Uh, and and that, that, that's important to us because at the moment they're not quite orientated that way. So we, we are looking across all our dependencies to say, okay, if FCAS is going to deliver a program this way, how do you need to change in order to accept that? Okay. Is there anything in the, in the round table uh, that well, we didn't get to talk about that you, you, you felt we missed out? There's something we did talk about a bit, which perhaps uh, had more uh, was, was more central than I'd expected, was around sustainability and the relationship between uh, combat air is, is not what you'd naturally think of as a sustainable industry, and yet it is beholden on us. And the very interesting comment from... Uh, some of our uh, perhaps younger colleagues around the round table that Generation Tempest is also Generation yeah. Net Zero, and it, it, we have got to be able to appeal to that kind of uh, demographic, that kind of workforce, to inspire them and show them that they can make a difference in in a field that might naturally feel almost the antipathy of of uh, of Net Zero. But if you can make a difference in Tempest on sustainable goals. That's an amazing thing to have achieved. So it was really hearing from a different generation that that that's something that's going to be important to them. It's it's really uh, resonated with me. I think we we touched on the international partnership, and um, we shouldn't underestimate the the work we are doing with our international partners. Uh, We're in a very important phase at the moment where we try to understand what each other's uh, objectives are, requirements are, and these are really good, healthy, constructive and energised conversations. So I've got a good feeling about this. This is building up quite nicely and um, I I look forward, because we recognise as part of the strategy it has to be an international programme, so it's a key tenant of the programme that we're working on and we're making good progress on that. We announced obviously back in Farnborough that we were going to explore what the scope of what our ambition is for partnering with Japan and and I think the conversations that we've had over the course of this year really show that there's an awful lot of synergy there Uh, there's a lot of opportunity these aren't hypothetical conversations they are uh, engineers working together up at Wharton in in other locations out in Japan uh, and they're making really concrete progress and I'm uh, hopeful that we'll be able to uh, to explore a really ambitious partnership with Japan uh, and look forward to being able to make some announcements on that uh, in the near future. And that of course includes our, our colleagues in Italy as well, but a, a lot more of a known partner. So, yeah, we've, been, we've been doing combat air work for as of more than 50 years now with them, so they're, um, we, we know them well and, and equally so, we, we, our engineers are collaborating uh, with them too, in the same as Richard described with Japan. Uh, and militarily, just look across the partners, so Japan and, and Italy, just look at their combat air forces that they, they operate today. You know, we're, we're all F-35 operators. We're all fourth-gen operators as well. 
Uh, and so there's a lot of history there. There's there's a lot of commonality. And I think as the, as the, the program goes to the next level, I think I, I mean w- what we also share as partners is a commitment to interoperability yeah. for for us within NATO, for the Japanese bilaterally with, with the United States, and FCAS partnership doesn't diminish that. That all three countries have an approach to FCAS which is very much complementary to our strategic, our military. Uh, our political relationships with the United States, and I think we're all really keen to, uh, to 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 reinforce that, even as we we start working together. That this this doesn't have to be a zero sum game. Uh, I think this is a net benefit uh, both to the U.S. and its its allies having a resilient, uh, complementary, diverse military capability uh, and a, a robust industrial base that supports it across, so not just in the United States but around its partners as well. And what, what do you think is the most uh, exciting uh, technology that you, you, you look at, you look across sort of Tedfest and you think, wow, that, that really is, is, is a game changer? Is there anything that sort of stands out that you, um, comes to mind? Well, I think um, we can't say too much around the product, <laughs> unfortunately. There, was, there are some world funds yeah. uh, that we already, through the, uh, the demonstrator we are designing, developing and building um, that we've managed to, to secure. But I, I think the, the enablement part, you know, doing this, designing this in a true digital environment, um, creating um, high fidelity virtual environments at the start of, of the design life cycle that we can um, test the solution in um, through, through digital models. That is quite groundbreaking. Yeah. You know, to do that at that scale and complexity and, and making that happen in an international environment is going to be one of the most interesting things to, uh, to get, get done. I think the work that Herman and the Team Tempest partners have done uh, in, in Team Tempest since 2018 uh, has shown we can achieve global and, and European technology firsts. Uh, and we've also got partners who, who are strong and, and bring something to the party. So is this a team sport? Uh, and, and we've got a good team. Okay. So final question there. Final quick question is: um, um, it's obviously a Woodson generation opportunity here, but for anyone interested in aerospace, AI, defence, um, what, what's your quick, quick uh, one sentence tips for any young people who want to get involved? Well, I think this program gives you everything. Uh, it's an engineering challenge. Uh, it's an amazing uh, system that we will be developing. It, we're going to be rewriting the engineering rulebook and the manufacturing rulebook to be part of that, of what truly is a national endeavour uh, with international partners. It, you know, it, it, it couldn't it couldn't be more exciting. I'd, I'd say there's a ten year old a ten year old out there today that's going to be the first test pilot in 2035. <laughs> <laughs> and as a non-pilot, what, I, what I'll say is this program needs to do things differently than programs have operated before. We need disruption, we need innovation, we need challenge. Yeah. And, and you know, we need robust engineering skills, a great diversity of skills. But you come in and make a difference. That, that's what somebody can bring to FCAS. It'll make a difference to national security, in technology terms. Uh, it's hugely important for the nation. Uh, and most importantly, I think it's an opportunity for people to, to do something worthwhile. Wow. Excellent. All right. Well, we'll obviously be keeping a close eye on this project as it develops and look forward to further exciting news. Uh, thank you all much for your, for your time. Thank you. Thanks for listening to our special edition of Future Horizons, the Tempest podcast. Mm-hmm.